Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Hi, I'm your host, Chet McLean, and today my guest is Valeri Stominoff, the head strength conditioning coach at the Bendigo Southeast College. Prior to working at Bendigo High School, Valeria was the head strength conditioning coach at Melbourne Football Club, Hawthorne, and the Essendon Football Club, as well as being part of China's physical preparation team for the 2012 London Olympics and 2014 Chinese Women National Basketball Team. Before commencing his career in elite sport, Valeria was a professional handball player in Bulgaria. Highlights from this episode, Valeria's top tips for team sport athletes that are trying to get faster and stronger using contrast training. Valeri explains his transition from a handball player in Bulgaria to coaching in the fitness industry in Australia, how to get in the industry of elite sport and make an impact, and the Bendigo High School framework for long-term athlete development. Before we start this episode, for those coaches listening into this episode that want to learn how to create an online successful coaching business and make an impact in elite sport, then our Coaches Academy is for you. You get access to our step-by-step roadmap to launching your own online coaching business, an extensive training library and exclusive discounts and tools. You'll also become part of our active and supportive community filled with strength conditioning coaches from all over the world who can help you along your coaching journey with practical feedback, support and advice. All of this and more make our academy the number one place to be for a strength conditioning coach wanting to start, manage, and grow a successful coaching business. To join, head to preparelikeaproacademy.com.au. Now let's get into today's episode with Valeri Stomnoff. Welcome, Valeri. Thanks for jumping on, mate. Thanks for having me, Jack. I'm excited. I'm excited to have you on. And yeah, you've been highly recommended and it, it took a little bit of persistence to, to convince you to come on, mate, but I'm really looking forward to having a, and, and sharing a good chat over the next hour. Thanks, mate. You're welcome. Take us to the beginning of, of your career. At what age, Valeria, did you discover you had a passion for strength and conditioning and, and working with elite athletes? Actually, I've been thinking. I've seen some of your podcasts and podcasts, and I've been thinking, and I find my story a little bit different compared to some of the other coaches you have interviewed. Yeah. I, uh, I got in, introduced to strength and conditioning, and that was called general physical preparation at the age of 12 when I started playing handball. And I think it was gradual evolution during my handball career and uni. When I was at uni, I learned general physical preparation in depth and love it. And then I had opportunity to work with some incredible coaches, well, world-class coaches, track and field, weightlifting, and uh, in general, physical preparation coaches. And then I started to think more and more about strength and conditioning. But back then wasn't, I'm talking here mid-80s, wasn't highly paid job. Mm. And, but I was thinking, ah, oh, this should be cool. And then actually I started to think more and more and more and slowly, slowly strength and conditioning became a real, real job and we started to get paid and that helps. And <laughs> so this helped. Yeah, of course this helped, but yeah, all I reckon was just gradual, gradual. Gradual build. Yeah. Yeah. From, from athletes. Yeah. From athletes yeah. and 
And and looking back now, why do you reckon you decided to go down the physical preparation side opposed to the tactical, technical side of, of coaching? No, great question. Actually, my first job was development Campbell coach. When I say development, I mean, I mean under, under 14. This was yep. my first uh, coaching job back in Europe. And I was still playing professional handball. But after I graduated from National Sports Academy, which is the state sport university in Bulgaria, I, want, I wanted to do some coaching, combine both professional handball career and coaching. And, and I got a job selection and development under 14. And now how to, ex I'll, I'll try to explain the, the system in Bulgaria is completely different to here. Every two hour in Australia, every coach is actually studies general physical preparation. Oh, is that right? Yeah. It doesn't matter what sport you do. When you graduate from uni, you study general physical preparation in, mm. in you, You know how to run training sessions and plan and, and obviously under 14 was, our system was different compared to Australia. In Australia, you know how the kids start and they start pretty much straight away competing. Mm. They start to compete pretty much straight away. They do some skills. Uh, in Bulgaria was, you know, select the kids at the age of 12 and then we, we will run one, yeah, good. Six, 12 months, solid strength and conditioning before we start to develop skills. Is that right? Yeah. That's good. I mean, it doesn't surprise me because obviously the weightlifting culture from, you know, a lot of the exercises are named after Eastern yeah. European countries. So you, you can imagine that there's a strong culture in, in strength and conditioning, but there you go. So from a young age, there's a high value in athletic development. So it was, it was, it was something even... I mean, I imagine around the world, strength conditioning coaches, like you mentioned, there weren't many that were regularly full-time professional salaries, but the culture sounded like there was a lot of people equipped in strength conditioning, whether it be a tactical coach or, yeah, and you were exposed to that at a young age. Was there a particular coach that comes to mind that you saw in action and you thought, geez, that looked like a pretty cool role. That's something I, I want to aspire to be. Oh, well, I, again, I, I have to go back to uni. When I was at uni, I had the opportunity to train with some track and field, some weightlifting coaches, elite coaches, and some strength and conditioning coaches. And I joined one of the, our lecturers. He was very, very, well, he had very good career at Decathlon and was good coach, young coach, but very good. And he had very good group. Yeah. Elite athletes. One of the girls in the group was, what could he be? High jump was two meters. So oh, wow. back in the early eighties, this was serious, really serious results. So they were elite athletes and I asked him to join and yeah, he said, no problem. Come and train with us. And, uh, and actually he's the, the coach probably who inspired me because I did a lot of weights with him, with the, his group and, and a lot of plyo, plyometrics and actually uh, learn, I would say in depth shock method. Mm -hmm. We did some really serious training. Yeah. This was 1982, 83, 1983, yeah. this period, you know, somewhere. And when you, when you, you mentioned you were learning off, off this coach, was your mindset to be the best athlete you could be at this time? Or was it because you wanted to be, you were transitioning into the coach phase of your life? Like were you 
seeing yourself as a coach at that point of view, or were you more focused about your athletic? No, athlete. Yep. athlete. Yeah, no, yep. I was still playing. I was still young. I was only in my third, uh, third year in my professional career. And I yeah, still focus fully on, on my athletic career, handball career. But at the same time, obviously being at uni, I was thinking in future. Yeah. Yep. And uh, yeah, I was just fortunate. You know, sometimes things happen just. Yeah, they're meant to be. Yeah. For no reason, actually. With yeah. At least we can't find the reason, but maybe there is, there was reason, but yeah, no, I absolutely love it and learn a lot from, from this coach. And, and then during my union, I had the opportunity to work with some weightlifting coaches, really world-class coaches and, and learn a lot about weightlifting from them, mm-hmm. technique. And they were really smart, actually. They understood very well the difference between just the weightlifting technique. Mm-hmm. The technique they use weightlifting competitions and they modify when they work with athletes, other from other sports, they modify their lifts and we, I had the opportunity to learn modified lifting, weightlifting, uh, clean and jerk snatches, I'd say more suitable and with hard correlation, you know, strength and conditioning to athletes outside yeah. weightlifting. Yeah. And what did that? look like for the strength conditioning coaches listening in what would be some drills that you would do so does that is that like rather than doing a, a clean from the floor you do like a hang clean or is it not doing full squat depth is it doing power cleans like what were the different drills that weightlifters were giving you that were more athlete specific let's okay. call it opposed to olympic weightlifting? okay yeah okay now now we did from the floor we did from hang and position cleans and snatches but for instance just the range of motion for yeah. weightlifters they'll pull heavy weights and only up to the middle of the chest and then they'll drop under yeah yep. with us when you work with athletes you outside weightlifting yeah you go through full range extend the body very similar to counter movement jump yeah so you don't cut the movement you go through full range and then when you catch the bar you know, you don't squat, or sometimes we did, but most of the time we were sort of half, just a quarter squat. And uh, squats, well, with squats we did actually, we did full squat and we did partial squats. We did lots of wave squats, the rhythmic squats, no. wave squats, do you know? Well, if I, uh, well, huh? I've heard of wave squats, and a wave loading, I've heard of that. Like no, one, no, three, one. wave squats or rhythmic squats. So you squat about quarter, uh, and then you come up. up and down, up and down, up and down, and right your heels. And it kills, yeah. kills the quads. Yeah, it kills the quads, but it's great for, well, I mean, look, it's hypertrophy. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Explosive strength. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you're trying to move the, move through those ranges as fast as possible. Yeah, as fast as yeah. you accelerate. We do right. contrast training where we combine heavy, slow with light and explosive yeah it's, it's yeah. different and another yeah. one for instance weightlifters when they well because they lift heavy they slide their feet laterally with us we didn't we stay on one spot and just again. interesting yeah just yes well it's how to say has has higher correlation lifting this way has higher correlation to say counter movement jump vertical jump mm. yeah and landing as well yeah. Uh, I'm not saying uh, sliding 
fit is wrong, but we did yeah. different variation with yeah. different techniques. Yeah, I like that. That's, that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah, so that, that, that's awesome. Thanks for thanks for sharing that insight. Just for right. you know, for for us, that yeah, you know, clearly you're exposed to some pretty advanced methodologies at a young age. That environment would have been massively influential, I, I imagine, on shaping your 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 philosophy with your strength and conditioning. Where did you where did you go from from there? From being a, a handball player, what was your first coaching role as a strength and conditioning coach? Yeah, as I mentioned before, my First job was under 14, selection and development under 14. Actually, we didn't have competitions under 14. So we select the kids, we train them for two years. Then the first competitions are under 16. And the sport was structured in three age groups, similar to here, under 14, under 16, and under 19. So my first job was under 14. I worked for one year and then I had to move to another city for family reasons and I want to continue to play and coach again and approach the club and they said look we don't have coaching job available we have actually only one the females team the women's handball team and they were elite team in the Premier League and then I had to make decision at this time I was 28 29 mm-hmm. and it was hard decision because I want play, but I want to coach, but the offer was really too good to say no. And I said, yes. And, and I started coaching women's team, elite yeah. women's team, yeah, professional. They were full-time professional athletes. And I was only, yeah, 28, 29. I was the youngest coach in the, in the Premier League, Bulgarian Campbell Premier League. And yeah, that's what happened. I worked there for one year and then I changed my mind and Left Europe and moved to Australia. Left oh, wow. 1989 and moved to Australia. And what was the, the motivation to go to Australia? Why, why down great, at that? Great <laughs> question. I'm still trying to work out, but I reckon it was adventure. Yeah. I just want to see, well, different, different countries, different yeah. world, and applied for visa. And actually, they offered me permanent reason. I said, well, why not? And then moved to Australia night to night. And take us through that transition. Did so did you come here with with anyone else? Did you know any connections in the country? Like how did you how did you find work? Take us through that relocation phase. Must have been a fair bit of change, I imagine. No, I, I didn't have any contacts here, didn't know any people. I got on Quant Quantus, I think it was aboard the Jumbo seven four seven uh seven four yes, yeah, seven. And I landed from somewhere in Germany, I think it was Frankfurt Airport, and I landed in Melbourne, and I loved the country. From the first day, I loved Australia, I loved Melbourne, and, and well, my first my first job in Australia was in the fitness industry. Uh, All right. This was 1990. Well, strength and conditioning didn't exist, and we didn't have professional sport in 1990. Even football was well, part-time. Yeah, part-time. Mm. I used to go to work and then train after work, nighttime. So strength and conditioning wasn't really paid job. Mm. But my first job was in the fitness industry and I did lots of work full time in fitness center and I did a lot of private coaching. Again, I worked with different young athletes, soccer, football, basketball. I did a lot of, yeah, trained a lot of basketball, some track and field. And yeah, and I did this job for actually 
six, seven years. And during this time, I did some work for the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association, just some, yeah, got involved with them. And then when IFL started to become more professional, then they started to employ more coaching, strength and conditioning coaches. And I decided to make move from the fitness industry and private coaching, yeah, more elite sport. And I sent my CV to every football club in Melbourne, only in Melbourne, in Victoria. Yeah. And, how did you, you go about getting those email addresses or, or postal addresses? Did you just... That's a good question. I don't even remember, but I, I remember, I, I can't remember. I think I, yeah. when I asked for the emails, I think it was phone calls, I asked for the emails. Yep, yep. No, it's how, yeah. And, uh, and Bogdan Babichuk replied, Houghton Football Club, and yeah, asked me to go for an interview and he interviewed me and, and yeah, I don't know if you, why he liked me, but he offered me a job. And there you go. The rest is history, eh? Yeah. And so and I then, started in over in four years at Hawthorne. And what did you, what did your role look like at Hawthorne Football Club? What were your main responsibilities? The gym, working the gym, weights. Yep. Yep. And was that for the whole squad or for the young players? Like Yeah, the whole squad. The whole, whole squad, everyone. Yeah. yeah. Development, young, new yeah. draftees and ev- everyone, the whole squad. Yeah. And was there someone in that role previously or were you the first sort of strength coach under Bowden in that program? When I, when I went there, Bogdan was there and had performance manager. He was running the weights and Adam Larkin. Adam Larkin, yeah, I think he moved from Essendon. From what I remember, Adam Larkin's role was more rehabilitation, mm-hmm. but still, he still helped in the gym. And then after uh, I worked with Adam Larkin for a year, and then he moved to uh, Frio, free mental with uh, Chris Conley. Chris Conley was assistant coach and they moved to Frio. And uh, yeah, he was for many years, high performance manager at uh, Frio. And how did you... How did you find that transition for, for coaches listening in that are working in the fitness industry and have an interest for working in sport? Were there transferable skills that you found with even your, your role in handball with the women's team and then private coaching in a fitness center? Did you find that transferred into Hawthorne Football Club role or was it completely different? No, well, every sport, well, every sport has a specific state, but I had Pretty good idea because before I apply for the job, I fall AFL. I mean, I start to fall AFL straight away. I fall AFL for years and I worked with some VFL football players privately and uh, I had pretty good idea, but I used some of the, yeah, you know, I'd say training methodology from handball. I applied into in football. Handball is a very athletic sport, so, and football is athletic. And, uh, yeah, there is common, some common things, actually. Explosive power, contact, both, physic, both sports are physical. Houghton Football Club, when I worked with them, we did lots of plyometrics. Mm-hmm. Bogdan understands plyometrics very, very well. Obviously, he's with triple, triple jump background mm-hmm. in decathlon. And uh, we did a lot of jumps. That's what we do in handball. Yeah, I used some of my handball experience in 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 AFL, yeah. And you mentioned you're there for for four years. Four years. Well, yeah. What was your next role after 
after that four-year campaign? Well, after my fourth year, Cotton Football Club changed the coaching staff and, mm-hmm. uh, and then I, I moved to Essendon. I had, yeah, I moved to Essendon with John Quinn. Mm-hmm. I had another four awesome years. I worked with great, great people, John Quinn and Joe Hawkins. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think Joe was, yeah, no, John was, was on your podcast. Yeah, yeah J- J- John Quinn, Bowden Babichek and Joe Hawking have all been on. Yeah, they've been on. Yeah, great people. And Adam Larkin, Adam Larkin is another really, really nice guy. I'll have to reach out to him. Oh, you haven't? Oh, yeah. He, no. He's a track and field coach. I think yeah. Australian national rally team, sprints coach. And physio? Yeah, worked with John and Joel for four years. Yeah. In the same role, in conditioning coach. And, and how did that come about? How did John Quinn know of your, or Joel Hooking, how did they know about your role? Did Bowden refer you on to Essen Football Club or did you did you reach out to John? Take us through that sort of connection. No, it was through, no, I worked with, Joel was Bogdan's athlete. Bogdan used to coach him, Joel Hawking. Uh, yeah. And he were, I think for a year, we worked together at Houghton Football Club and then he moved to Carlton and from Carlton to Essendon. So I knew Joel from Houghton, knew him well. And Bogdan Babichuk introduced me to John Quinn. And uh, I had an interview with John Quinn. I remember he asked me to teach Dustin Fletcher how to do power cleans and he was. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And how did that go? Uh, yeah, good. Yeah. Well, can't go wrong with Dustin. Coach, athlete. Yeah. Yeah. No, he helped me to get the job. Yeah. We got the lucky, job. lucky, uh, John didn't choose the snatch. That probably would have been a little bit harder. I mean, <laughs> oh, he, he can handle snatch. Yeah. Fletch can handle snatch. Oh, can he? Wow. Yeah. That'd be impressive. He's an impressive, he's an impressive athlete. And then I worked with John four years. I was at Tessendale Football Club four years. And, and then, yeah, then from there. Before, before you move to the, the next, the next phase, you mentioned something there that, that is quite popular in the industry. And, and I think there's a famous quote out there. I can't remember, uh, who I heard it from, but you're not a strength and conditioning coach until you're fired by an elite club. You mentioned there was new coaches that came into the Hawthorne football club. Is that what changed the strength and conditioning staff? Did, was there a fair bit of change in the role or did you want to leave Hawthorne at that time? No, with Cotton. They are uh, with this uh, staff. Yeah, and, yeah, they yeah. changed the, the staff. Essendon, Essendon. Now with Essendon, Melbourne Football Club approached me. I was, I was in my second or third year with Essendon. And Melbourne Football Club approached me and asked me to go there. But I didn't. I told them that. I'm prepared to talk to them. But when my contract finished, because I was still under contract. And then uh, Kevin Shee. Yeah, Matthew Knight replaced Kevin Shiddy, but I worked with Matthew Knight, so it wasn't a replacement. They didn't rotate the staff. I made decision to move to Melbourne because I had good offer. Chris Conley, yeah, made good offer. And, and then John Quinn left Essendon and myself and Joel, Joe Hawkins, we decided to move to Melbourne Football Club and we moved together. Oh, strength and conditioning, and Joel took the role for um, yeah, high performance manager and did a great job. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then what year was this at Melbourne Football Club? Were these full-time roles at this point of the, of the industry? 
Yeah, uh, no, Joe was full time. I was part time. Yep. Yeah. Hi there. Hope you're enjoying this episode of Valeri Stominoff. We're just going to take a quick break to hear a snippet from our interview with Bowden Babacek. That Melbourne and Hawthorne days are a real change in the guard with how football is prepared. From it sounds like um, speaking to Loris Bertolacci and and these guys that you're at the forefront there and um, you know John Quinn changing from steady state running to a lot more intermittent speed based anaerobic based training. What was that like? That transition and um, <laughs> what what became, what were some of the things you um, like, how did you find that experience changing how footballers um, prepared their training? Was it hard to get by in early days? We had uh, the first one was, I, thought, I, I can give you instant, the great Tony Platten. I, I had him doing, well, first I'll go back to Collingwood in the 90s and yeah. Mark was there, he used to write ultra fit and stuff and I was just doing the weights and the strength and conditioning and stuff and some of the guys would then, I didn't know that I was involved as, as a national, well, then they found out I was involved as a national track and field coach, so Mick Gaver and um, those sort would come in and uh, wanted, wanted Craig Stasevich and then wanted to do more and more. So you get your um, so-called disciples that say, oh, look, I need to improve my speed and uh, away you go. To hear more from Bowden, make sure to scroll to episode 50 on the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Now back to the rest episode with Valeri Shomroff. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy. And then what did you do outside of those part-time jobs with AFL clubs where you're working in the fitness centre or private work or? Uh, I did some private coaching, but I was part-time, but the money were enough to live. But yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was well paid. Yeah. Yeah. And the, of the three different roles, had you, uh, sorry, different clubs over over a decade of experience, did you find that the game was changing in that period of time in terms of the athleticism and fitness? Well, obviously, yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. The game was changing, became much more running, especially with the rotations, <laughs> because when I worked with Houghton, well, then we start to introduce rotations, but then yeah, with Essendon Football Club, we were going through lots of rotations, which obviously changes the speed, uh, the speed of the game and, and the preparation. Yeah, <laughs> game change, became faster and speed and elastic strength starts to become more, I mean, strength is still important, but speed, elastic strength starts to become even more, more, more important. We did a lot of <laughs> plyometrics with Essendon Football Club and with Melbourne, lots of contrast training. Mm-hmm. And what would be your favorite sort of slow strength based movements and then your sort of fast explosive work when you do the contrast contrast training? Well, well, depends. When I do squats, for instance, I combine squats with back jumps. Oh, yep. Yep. Or jumps over hurdles, power cleans with double leg bounding, like broad jumps, but connected broad, continuous broad jumps, double leg mm-hmm. bounding. I do a lot of, we did lots of push press mm-hmm. and medicine ball yeah this is simple um clean pulls with uh starts five ten twenty meter sprints clean. Oh, yeah yep yep we did lots of them when i worked with melbourne football club at, uh, and i did that park and yes you know the there is the space yeah yep. and the track there we did sprint or rower just unloaded prow pra, pushing prow can't pronounce 
or after uh, clean pulls or deadlifts. Uh, nothing complicated, simple exercises, but they're efficient. When you combine slow and heavy and slow with light and explosive, the results are good. Works for yeah. team sports. Yeah. Yeah. And the, for, for the athletes listening in with the contrast training, do you want to explain how that, how they actually would do that? So, and the, I guess the, the benefits of, of doing slow strength and then doing the explosive movements, but how would an athlete go about doing it? Is, is it, you know, a minute in between drills, do you want them going straight from the lift straight into the explosive movement? Is explosive movement first or is it the, you know, take them through maybe an example? We've done both. We've done, I use both methods. I do sometimes explosive first and then slow. And yep. most of the time we do first slow and then explosive. Yep. Obviously, if if we do explosive before slow activates, they're great for activation, activates the nervous system. So they can lift, but, lift a bit heavier yeah, sort of thing. Lift, yeah. yep. and, and slow start. One of the reasons I, I like heavy slow and then explosive is, and I, I know this from my experience, in sport, look, in team sports, most of the time, we have to reduce explosive movement and the fatigue when we are fatigued. And lifting heavy, say, for instance, when, when I do contrast training, I don't really go, I never go more than five reps. Mm-hmm. Usually it's somewhere between three and five reps. But even five, five full squats, it's a pretty serious effort. And ex- Fatigues the muscles, and then we go straight away, say five, we do straight away five uh, tuck jumps or five jumps over hurdles, high hurdles. So I like this uh, fatiguing the muscle before explosives squats. Now, for, this, uh, for example, this doesn't make sense if you, well, it makes less sense if you work triple jumpers or or long jumpers or high jumpers. But in team sports, most of the time we we have to jump and sprint in the fatigue. Yeah. How to say it uh, has higher correlation to team sports than, than track and field. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. There you go. Athletes listening in, uh, it's a good way. To, and it's also more time effective, isn't it? Like you're going to get your three year session. Yeah. yeah. And still uh, keeps the heart rate, actually. The heart rate's it's pretty high. Yep. Yep. And, and you've mentioned a few that have influenced your career up until this point. So, yeah. The the coach yourself that allowed you to come in and train with the with the elite athletes and and obviously Bowden giving you that opportunity in Australia. Are there other people and Chris Conley as well getting you the great gig at, at Melbourne Footy Club? Are there other people that have been strong influences to to your career? Did you did you have a mentor per se, or has a lot of your own development been self driven? I mean, always. So we talk. I talk a lot with my friends. I mean, with John Quinn, with Joel and Bogdan, and I have. Popovich, Nick Popovich, another uh, yeah. great guy. I, yeah, I saw yeah. his uh, interview on your podcast. He's another great guy, great guy, and who worked together at NBL. Mm-hmm. Um, forgot, uh, South Dragons, South, South Dragons basketball team. Yeah, we'll come in, we'll learn all the time. And, uh, and I reckon at my age, with my experience, it's how you learn more and how, how to say, share knowledge and experience we communicate and uh, yeah well look every coach i work with has influenced me it's impossible not and even young coaches they they still influence her. but mentor i mean if if i have question i ask bogdan i talk to john queen talk to anyone yeah yeah 
That's a great, great mindset. Always learning. Yeah, well, must that always learning. Yeah, and and for the developing footballers listening in, you've you've worked with a lot of successful and and the top of the top level footballers. What are some athletic traits that you like to to see, or or maybe some a mindset that you like to see when you're first working with an athlete, and you can see, or oh, they're going to be they're going to be successful. They're going to be pretty good at what they do at their craft. I mean, young athletes, say yeah, or football players. I may ask, ask them a couple of questions. And one of the co- questions I ask is, what do you want to do? And say, so, well, and the answer I get is usually, I want to, I want to get drafted. And I say, look, getting drafted is not enough. Do you, what do you want to do? Get drafted or make a career? Because I've seen a lot of talented football players get drafted and then they, you know, struggle for a year, maximum two, and they disappear. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do? Get drafted? or make career. And lately I've been getting actually more answers. You know, I want to make career, which makes me happy. And if I hear this answer, I want to make career, then okay. Let's go. The right track. Yeah. You're prepared to work. It's not only for getting drafted. Because you know it. I mean, we've seen lots of young athletes, and not only in football, in sports generally, they get mm-hmm. drafted. They're not prepared. Well, I, I would say they're not prepared mentally for career. Yeah. They prepare themselves mentally only for the draft. But then after the draft, it's more fingers crossed and whatever happens, happens. But we know very well that in sport, things very rarely happen. We have to yeah. let them happen. I mean, they, we can't let, we can't go, go in elite sport with finger crossed. Yeah, I like that. And, and, you, and you're now working at your Bendigo South this college. Talk talk us through the program there. What, what What's a typical day look like for you? Great. My, great question. Now, first, I started to work with this Bendigo, at Bendigo Southeast College eight years ago, and we yeah. set up an uh, athlete development program. And in the last two years, we expanded the program across four more schools. schools. Now the program involves, it's in five schools. Four secondary colleges from year seven, eight, nine, ten, and Bendigo Senior, year eleven and twelve. So these four secondary colleges, they're feeding schools for Bendigo Senior, and uh, the, we work. Actually, the program is part of the Bendigo Education Plan. Bendigo mm-hmm. Education Plan is the the local the Department of Education, so they took over the program. And it's a great program. It has been evolving well through the past eight years. Now, the program has three components. First is general physical preparation. Second, skills. We offer skills in soccer, AFL, basketball, netball, cricket, and athletics. And if we have enough students, cycling, road and track. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, we have students from different sports who, who are not, you know, who don't only strength and conditioning, strength and conditioning, they don't have squats, they don't do skills. <laughs> so the first component is general physical preparation, skills, and we have theory. It's educational. It's not only sports program, it's educational program. So they do theory. They, they learn health, they learn nutrition, they... Well, they learn anatomy, training methods, periodization, 
So it's, it's impressive. How athletes, they get a pretty good understanding of sport. And some of our athletes, well, we have some really successful young athletes, but we have students, some kids, when they finish our program, they can, well, they applied for um, yeah sports degrees and, and actually the program employs them. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Some yeah. of them completed their degrees and we employ them. And you were, you were part of the initiative of, of, of it all at the very start of, of this program eight years ago, were you? Yeah. 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 Wow, that must be. When we started, yeah. we, we didn't have any, we, we didn't have gym. We had empty room, which was big enough. We set up gym and I've been working with some awesome, awesome coaches. We have great team and, and the program is developing. The program is popular and we're getting some good results. And Jack yeah. graduated from our program. And was he, was, was he, what, what was his answer when you asked him, what did you want to do? Do you remember? No, I didn't ask him. That, no, I didn't ask him. He was young. He was too young. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when he started, didn't ask him. But he was good. He was very, very talented. Yeah, from learning skills and worked hard. Yeah, got good results, got athletic preparation. And it's going well. Yeah. And for someone like Jack, what, what did his week look like at sort of, let's say a 15, 16 year old, how much training was he doing in the gym in terms of hours or how many sessions and how many football sessions? Yeah. What, what was his normal week look, look like? Do you think? In the gym, two gym sessions. Yep. And two skill sessions in our program. So our student athletes do two gyms and two skill sessions and they have theory. Plus we try to monitor their training clothes outside the program with the club and the pioneers and Bendigo pioneers, which is probably the hardest, the most challenging part. We try to manage the training clothes, but yeah, he had four, four sessions, four sessions in the program. Right. Yeah. And then for, for those listening in that maybe haven't started their gym program yet, because they haven't got access to it at school or and maybe they're not in the NAB league at this stage, but they want to be the best they can be. What what would those two gym sessions look like? Is that is that total body sessions? Are they, you mentioned plyometrics, Olympic lifting, or is it more simple exercises? Take us through sort of a basic day of those two mm-hmm. different workouts. Mm-hmm. Obviously they change, I know, but yeah. like just a general sense mm-hmm. for the athletes listening in. Well, let's start with year seven. When you get them, they can, we start with mobility. Mobility, flexibility, stability exercises, and then we start to learn how to squat, bodyweight squats, step-ups, just bench press, push and pull exercises with light dumbbells on bench. And then from there, we progress to deadlifts. We start to teach them how to do deadlifts, but very light weights. You have 8 and 10 kilograms bars. We introduce deadlifts, this in year 7 running drills and others. So our program is structured three components. So warm up and then we do mobility. Then after the mobility, we do running drills. At the start of every session, after we warm up and we do our mobility, we have 10, 15 minutes running drills where we do, yeah, just the knee lifts, some low intensity, plyometrics, low impact, a skips, Bouncing, bounding skips, bouncing skips, and we'll work on the running technique and then we'll go through the weights. Perfect. And of course, when one, once we develop optimal mobility and flexibility and get some 
core stability and hip stability strength, we focus on technique. So and they're not allowed to go, well, in fact, they're not allowed to change weight before they ask and before you check their technique. So the technique, we focus on technique. We make sure their technique is good. Year seven, we don't do any Olympic lifts. We introduce hand cleans halfway through year eight. <laughs> so, and from there, we progress to lift power cleans from the floor, push press, and but we still keep the weight light until the end of year 10. We start to push heavier weights year 11 and year 12 when they have four years solid preparation and the technique is pretty good. Okay. Yeah. You don't have deficiencies in serious deficiencies in the, in the lifting technique. Then year 11, year 12, they start to lift. And again, and, it's um, individual. They start to move heavy weights. Yeah. And now that you've had, you know, eight years, so I imagine you've seen a few kids graduate from year seven all the way through. What, what sort of uh, achievements are you seeing in the gym? Are people deadlifting twice their body weight? Are they benching their body weight? Like what sort of strengths are you seeing in the program for those students that have gone through the whole process? Well, look, I mean, even, even when they finish year 12, they're still young. They don't lift to, they don't need to lift, deadlift their body weight twice. It's, it's still, I'd say, put it things this way. We focus more on the steel. Yep. We lift heavy, but we don't go max, we don't do maximal strength. Yeah. So even if they squat 80 kilograms, five reps, probably their maximal strength is on five reps is at least 10 or even 20 kilograms heavier. But mm -hmm. I don't, I don't. You don't take them there. Yeah, no. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. It's a school environment. It's a learning, it's an edu educational program and technique is much more important and learning how to train properly than lifting heavy. When yeah. they leave the program and but plenty of time to lift they heavy. Can, yeah, they can <laughs> lift heavy, but we don't, we don't test them. Actually, we, we don't do, we don't do maximal strength, put the things this yeah. way. I don't yep. want to. Yep. Yeah. And then you've talked about the mobility flexibility up over the last couple of years, particularly since COVID, I've, I've noticed from my point of view anyway, 13, 14 year olds, unfortunately, due to, you know, a lot of sedentary behavior with with COVID and the pandemic have, have tightened up a lot with through the hamstrings and back and hips. What, what are some of your favorite drills for those either parents that might be listening of a younger child um, that have some mobility tightness or maybe some athletes are listening in that want to increase their mobility through their hips and, and back or, what is, or ankles, whatever. You, what are your key focuses are with mobility for athletes? Well, pretty much every joint. We work on yeah, ankle mobility, hip. We stretch hip flexors, hip extensors, low back, shoulders. Obviously, for Olympic lifts, shoulders, shoulders mobility is important. But look, I, mobility and flexibility is the hardest thing. And I, I negotiate and I start, start to negotiate with them yeah. <laughs> when, when they start at very early young age, try to negotiate 10 minutes every day. Yeah, it's a constant battle, battle, and it's the hardest thing actually to convince young cutlers to do stretch. Yeah. And some of them get it and do it, but most of them only promise. Yeah. And, but then when you don't see results, we ask questions and, and look, and they learn. It takes 
some kids takes longer to learn, but because we had them for a long period of time, at the end, we, we managed to get results, but it's yep. the hardest thing. So, mm. But yeah, just a, just a simple, we don't really do anything extraordinary, anything specific, just the ankles, we focus on ankles. Hip. And is it more like static stretching, like 36, 60 second, 90 second holds, or is it more dynamic or is it a bit of both? Yeah, we do both. Uh, both we do yeah. both. With tier seven and eight, we do static stretching because they don't lift heavy. For instance, we structure the program this way. We start with uh, mobility, dynamic, and then uh, 10 minutes, and then we do 10 minutes uh, static. Hip flexors, just hip flexor stretch, hamstring stretch, seated hamstring stretches, uh, butterfly, adductors, yeah, some shoulders and yeah. ankle stretching, yeah, ankles, but we do both. We do dynamic and, and, and static with year 9, 10, 11, 12, it's more dynamic. Mm -hmm. Are they the uh, moving on to the personal side of the podcast, the, the get to know Valeri side. So these ones are a bit lighter, not as, not as uh, serious. So have you got a favorite life motto or favorite quote, inspirational quote that you like to live by Valeri, or you're not really a quote man? No, I'm not. Sorry. I have to disappoint you with nothing, no, no, nothing right. to share. I don't have motto and, uh, yeah, no. Yeah. And what about in your work life? What makes you angry? What are your pet peeves? Good one. I'll say, I'll say this. I don't get paid. I don't get paid to get angry. I don't, I don't get angry. <laughs> uh, nah, uh, I negotiate and we, yeah, nah, I don't Nothing get paid. Nothing makes you angry? Nah. Yeah. What about when the kids Forty. don't put their weights away? Yeah. They don't, uh, we make them put them at the, at the start, even if they don't put them, we just ask them and they put them back. Yeah. We don't get yeah. problem. Yeah. And then your favorite way to spend your day off? When I don't work, train. Yep. Train and sleep. Yep. Yeah. Still an athlete. Still an athlete, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Training great. and recovery. Stress yeah. and recovery. I love it. What about favorite holiday destination and why? Okay. Used to be ski resort. I used to ski a lot, but I haven't done any skiing for the last 15 years. So I don't really, just here in Victoria. I guess, travel Mornington Peninsula, just locally. But I used to spend a lot of time and money on ski resorts. Right, okay. Yeah. And that's, and are you a whiteboarder or are you a skier? Ski, alpine. Yep. And and where would be your favorite place to, to go if you were, if you, is there anywhere in Australia that you've, you've been? That it, I know yeah. skiing in Australia is not that good, but. No, well, it's not, well, can't compare with Europe, but still good. Australia, I love the Mandua for day trips. Because it's close, and uh, when I go for a week, I prefer Falls Creek, Falls Creek, Mount Houghton, but mm -hmm. Falls Creek is my favorite mm -hmm. uh, ski resort in, resort in uh, here in Victoria. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you, thank you so much for for jumping on, Valeri, to the to the show, sharing with us your your journey, both for the coaches listening in to you know success leaves clues. So it's great to have someone that's been in the industry as long as you have, and and worked in international sports, women, men's professional sport, and, and three different teams as well, because we share a lot of AFL content on here. Uh, and then now working in the school sector as well, which is uh, growing at a rapid rate in Australia, which is fantastic to see. It would be remiss of me not to ask about Dyson Daniels. How was it training him in preparation for, for the draft? It must have been a pretty special experience. No, I didn't, I didn't prepare him for the draft. He, he played in the United States. Dyson Daniels joined our program 
I think it was year seven, year seven, and he trained four years, year seven, eight, nine, and 10. And uh, when he graduated from the program, he moved to the, to, to Canberra, Australia, ah, yeah. to the sport. And from there, I think he was there for a year and then moved to United States and play NBA. Yeah. Last year, NBA G, G League. Right. Uh, but we had him in our program four years and yeah, it's yeah. It good. Yeah. He did everything what we've been talking about. Yeah. Squats, deadlifts, power cleans, clean pulls, running drills in our program. Fantastic. But yeah, we play small part in his, his development. Yeah, well, four years is a significant amount of time. Did, could you tell at the time that he was going to make it to the top? Oh, he was always talented. Well, we expected, we expected actually our basketball coaches, they're very, very experienced and uh, would they expect results, good results? Yes. Um, yeah. Number eight is unbelievable. Yeah. But, uh, but we expected career. Yep. Yeah. Well, well done. That's, uh, yeah, it's amazing. And, and well done for your career so far as well. Obviously a lot more to come, but thank you for coming on and sharing with us. And what, what are you excited about at the moment? What's on the horizon for you, Valeria, for the rest of 2022? Well, I'm excited. I'm hoping, I'm hoping for good year. We need better year than the last two years. And so far it's been good year. No lockdowns. Kids still get sick, but we've been training more consistently and I'm keeping, I'm hoping for just a consistent year good consistent training this year yeah 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 fingers crossed that has been a bit tough on on the kids and everyone in melbourne the last three years but yeah fingers crossed it keeps going the way it has been it's it's amazing how fast time flies when you don't have a lockdown right we're already half, well and truly halfway through the year <laughs> yeah crazy mr two yeah. yeah fantastic well thanks again and thank you for everyone that's tuned in to to watch the show our, our next guest will be Matthew Pell, who's a senior applied sports scientist for Catapult. They'll be at 9 p.m. next Wednesday, July 20th. Make sure if you tuned into Valeri's episode halfway through or maybe towards the end to listen to the very start, we're going to release it on our podcast next Tuesday. So stay tuned and I'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks again, Valeri. For those that want to get in touch with you and, and even be coached by yourself, what is the best place to get in contact? Oh, can approach me on Messenger, I guess. Yeah, Valeri Stonov. <laughs> awesome. We'll add it in the show notes, guys, so you can get in contact. Thanks again, mate. Thanks. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be and then game changes yeah, game changes whatever that might be and look it probably keeps me in a job but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete 
or athletes and you know and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary it unravels everything that i've been working with an athlete for yeah yeah another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the prepare like a pro live chat show here's an example with academy member rama davies the strength conditioning coach at the box hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was, you spoke a, a, quite a bit about, um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or, um, do physically that, um, you wish you either knew or did, um, uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah it certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for sort of three things. And, um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an S and C coach, you know, if something's you having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that, in that work bubble. Um, yeah. so that's, that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and, um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker, um. And yeah. and yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.